0: This morning we're going to be considering Matthew chapter 7 first several verses of Matthew chapter 7 it's a it's it's Jesus last turn if you will in the sermon on the mount he's now he's now headed down the home stretch if you think of this as a horse race he's 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 made the last turn and he's he's going to bring it home and chapter 7 is 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 giving us a vision of all of life lived under the eye the watchful eye of God the God who made us the God who is the only rightful judge over us What does it look like to live life as if we really do think we live it before him? As if we really believe that he has a right to speak into our lives and to hold us accountable for the choices that we make. The choice between Jesus' kingdom that he's been describing in this sermon and any other kingdom is a a fundamental choice that all of us face. And that this last chapter is is trying to, to sort of confront us with in a way that we can't escape. One of the things Jesus has been talking about, in the, especially in this last chapter, chapter 6, before we get to chapter 7, one of the things that, that he's been talking a lot about is hypocrisy. That word has come up over and over and over again. He's condemning it, and we love that, because all of us hate hypocrisy. He's talked about the importance of not praying, just so people hear your words and are really impressed by the fact that you know all of these churchy-sounding phrases. He's talked about the importance of not fasting in order to be seen for all your sacrifices, but only if you really do think that your connection to God is more important to you than food. He's talked about the importance of of setting aside all of our tendencies to try to bring glory to ourselves through the piety that we project to other people. Through any kind of action that we do, only to be noticed for it, rather than because we're driven by love and affection. Well, he continues the hypocrisy theme in chapter 7 here. But I think this last example that he's come to is probably the one we're going to connect with the most. Everybody hates hypocrisy. But maybe the most difficult kind of hypocrisy to swallow is somebody who's hypocritical in their judgment of other people. Somebody who puts himself on a kind of pedestal from which they look down on everybody who's around them. Somebody who, it's obvious, isn't any better than the people they're judging, but can't stop themselves from just judging everyone. Somebody who condemns things in others that they've done themselves. Someone who's hypersensitive to the flaws of other people, but blind to their own flaws. If you're thinking of somebody specific right now in your mind, uh, you better be careful, because it could be a sign that you're a hypocrite yourself. We love, the reality is, we love the warning Jesus is going to give in Matthew chapter 7, so long as we see it as a warning for somebody else, a warning to other people not to judge us. One of the things we want to try to focus on this morning is seeing ourselves, though in the warning that Jesus gives, seeing our own tendency to pass judgment on people as if we were worthy of that, as if we could see what we need to see to make those kinds of judgments. Jesus is going to tell us, you can't. So it's not your place. Jesus says in the first verse of chapter 7, Judge not that you be not judged. It's one of the most famous passages in 21st century America, I think. It's right up there with John 3.16. I don't have any stats to back that up. It's just sort of a sense that I have. It's right up there with John 3.16. Everybody loves to quote this because it usually serves us. We tend to take that warning and think it means something like it's illegitimate for anyone to pass judgment on anyone else's choices. Everything's okay as long as someone's free to express themselves. That would be a misreading, though, of what Jesus is saying. This whole sermon, Jesus has been passing value judgments. From chapter 5 all the way to where we are today. He's been trying to put tools in the hands of his followers so they could tell the difference between good things and bad things. Between choices that are healthy and honoring to God and choices that aren't. The whole sermon is full of value judgments between this and not that statements. So that can't be what Jesus means. He can't be saying we shouldn't judge between what's good and what isn't. He's not telling us everything's okay as long as people are free. The kind of judgment he's condemning here is the kind that's dismissive or disgusted by others. The kind that looks down on them. The kind that assumes you stand at a place from which you can look down on someone else. That's the kind of judgment, let's call it judgmentalism. That we're going to unpack together this morning, while we walk through Jesus' words, I want to I want to do this really simply. Just take what's clear, I think, on the surface of the passage, and I hope you see that. A couple of reasons Christians shouldn't pass judgment on other people. We're going to look at those two reasons that Jesus gives, and then we're going to wrap it up with a question: How should we interact with the flaws of other people? If we're not supposed to pass judgment on people, condemn them, stand in judgment over them, what should we do when, in the normal twists and turns of life in community? We see things about people that aren't what they should be. How is that, what's a healthy non-judgmental way to react? We're going to consider that question at the very end. I want to I want to begin though by reading the passage together. So would you please stand with me in honor of God's word while I read from the first 7 or excuse me the first 6 verses of chapter 7. This is the word of the Lord to us. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is God's word. You can be seated. The first reason Jesus points us to in chapter 7, for his, his blanket statement, judge not lest you be judged, the first reason he gives us that we shouldn't judge others, is that we're not worthy ourselves. One of the things the Bible really clear about, this is from, the, from beginning to end, is that God alone is judge over the world. And, and, and I mentioned earlier, his, his judgment of us is going to be a big theme in chapter 7. No one gets to join him in that seat. When we pass judgment on one another, we're claiming a place that belongs only to God. That part's clear from the whole Bible. It's really clear in this sermon. but In this text, Jesus goes one layer further, one layer further down into what's wrong with passing judgment. Here, what he, what he emphasizes is not so much that we're just taking God's place when we judge one another, but that, but that we're not worthy to judge. Not because we lack the qualifications. Not, because, not just because we aren't God and we don't see what he does. That's part of it. But also because we aren't innocent. We're not worthy. No one is guilty in any way that outpaces our own guilt. That's true for every person. That's ever lived. Now that's Jesus' point in verses 2 and 3. That's where it comes out. Look at those verses again with me. For with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged, Jesus says. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. You will be judged, in other words, by whatever standard you apply to other people. It's a principle we've seen before in this sermon. Though on the flip side, not, not about judgment, but about mercy. Earlier, Jesus has said in this sermon that you should be merciful... Because then you'll receive mercy. That there's this close connection between our giving mercy to one another and our receiving mercy from God. We can't receive God's mercy and then not show it to other people. That just doesn't work. We can't withhold mercy from other people and expect God to give us mercy. Merciful people receive mercy. People who receive mercy are merciful people. The two go hand in hand. We've seen that a couple times already in this sermon. And and the same principle applies for judgment. Jesus is using it here in exactly the same way. Judgment, receiving judgment, goes with giving judgment. Giving judgment is is something you don't want to get yourself involved in because it's going to come with a lot of baggage you're not ready to carry. If you choose to put yourself in a seat of judgment over others, you're going to be held to that standard. That's That's the basic point. You can tell Jesus isn't actually saying we should feel free to judge others so long as we're clean ourselves. You could misread this verse that way. You could misread it and think that what he's saying is, as long as you think you could pass the standard, go for it. You know? As long as you think that whatever it is you're passing judgment on someone else for is something you're doing pretty well at, go ahead. Actually, that would be feeding into one of the most common sources of our judgmentalism, I think. We tend to lock in on things we think we're great at and then make those things the standard by which we judge everybody else. But in case you think that's what Jesus might be saying here, look at verse 3. Verse 3 he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that is in your own eye? He's making it clear, no, you have issues that are are monumental. He's using another one of these, these hyperbolic images that would have been hilarious in his time. He's going for humor here, in case you missed it. Imagine the guy who's walking around with a log sticking out of his eye. Kids, can you imagine that? A guy with a big two-by-four stuck up under his eyelid just walking around with that thing sticking out like some sort of unicorn's horn? That's what Jesus is trying to evoke. Imagine how ridiculous it is for that person to complain about a fleck of sawdust that got stuck in somebody else's eye. Say, I I can't imagine how you go through life as someone with a speck of sawdust in your eye while while the log is sticking out of his own eye. It's meant to make you laugh. It's meant to make it clear that the reason you can't judge other people is not it's not just that you don't see what you ought to. He'll say that in a moment. It's that you are guilty. Fundamentally guilty. Just like they are. Every one of us lives in a glass house. Now, I wonder where you see signs of this judgmentalism cropping up in your own heart or in your, in your own life and your reaction to other people. I think you might could see it If you you often find yourself taking personal offense at things that don't directly involve you, maybe get really worked up at things you hear secondhand, just at the thought that somebody could be that way. If you see yourself having strong and instinctive reactions of anger or outrage, that you, you can't understand how someone could do something like that. If you find yourself drawn to activities or positions or lifestyle choices that feel really distinctive, that most people don't share, maybe because you like to stand apart, because you don't want to fit the norm. Or do you ever find yourself venting about somebody in a way that's condescending or mocking, where you're, where you're actually trying to make people that you're speaking to think of these other people as foolish Jesus' warning here is a deadly one. It points to a crucial truth. You can't be with Jesus. You can't can't embrace and be defined by the gospel and stand in judgment over other people. It's incompatible. You can't be with Jesus. You can't embrace and let your own life be defined by His work for you. And still stand in judgment over other people. See, here's here's why. For me to stand in judgment over other people, I have to believe there's something good about me, something I deserve credit for that's different from you. I have to believe there's a gap between us and that my side of the gap is about me. In other words, what I have to do is say that there's something you do that I don't, something... I do that you don't, some quality I have that you don't or whatever, something about me that's different than than you is really important to who I am. And Jesus is saying basically, okay, you can go down that road if you want, but if you do, you're on your own. If you want to stand on your own two feet so that you can look down at others, you're going to have to stand on your own two feet. Because this attitude toward other people is exactly the opposite to what the gospel says. The gospel says no one does good, not even one. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That all, anyone who is justified, anyone who's ever been justified, is justified as a gift. Because God chose to pour out on his own son the penalty for sin that each one of us deserves. The gospel says that holiness isn't measured on a curve. The goal isn't to just outpace enough people so that the bear doesn't catch you, you know, in that old image. I don't have to be the fastest man, I just have to be faster than those guys so the bear catches me. That's not the way holiness works. You're not just trying to stay at least in the middle of the pack. Holiness is all or nothing when it comes to God's standards. But the gospel says God has given up his son The one man who was truly and fully holy. The one human who did not deserve to die. The one truly righteous person. God gave up so that unrighteous people, no matter how guilty they are, can stand clean and innocent, pure and holy before him. But only, only if they stand with Jesus. See, to have any shot at standing before God and not being destroyed, you have to stand wrapped up in the identity Jesus earned in his life and his death and his resurrection. If you take one step outside of Jesus' identity, it means death. But friends, no one gets to stand wrapped up in Jesus' identity and stand in judgment over anyone else. As soon as you stand in judgment over anyone else you have stepped out of, your identity with Jesus. When we're acting as if we're not sinners in desperate need for grace, when we act like we're the standard somebody else has failed to meet, as if God's standards apply differently to other people than they apply to us, we're not approaching people through Jesus. If we approach people through Jesus, if our identity with Him as redeemed sinners identified by what he has done, not by what we've done. If we're approaching everything in the world, including our relationships, through Jesus, through our our being wrapped up in him, then we approach other people like Jesus does. That means we approach people in love. That means we approach them in a way that, 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 that tries to redeem them. to to bring them in, to make them different from what they were, to invest in them, not dismiss them because of their flaws, but try to help them, try to recover them. That's the way Jesus approached us. That's the way Jesus approaches them. Pick any person in your life that you feel judgment towards right now. Jesus approaches them with the same gospel offer that won you over. There is no different set of offers for different people based on what they've done or how bad they might have offended you in your life. So if you want to be with Jesus, you're going to have to approach these people like Jesus does. That will mean giving in the grace that he's given us. It will mean sharing his love for them. One of my favorite passages in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Call uh, to Discipleship, it's, it's a, a book that we've been, I've cited quite a few times um, because it's, it's got this huge section on the Sermon on the Mount. It's just a verse-by-verse commentary on it. One of my favorite sections, probably my favorite section in the book, is, is his commentary on chapter 7 of Matthew. It gets to the part where Jesus is saying that we don't judge. Talks about how if we interact through Jesus, if Jesus defines who we are, if we want to be with Him and get what He deserves, and that means everything else has to be interact. We have to interact with everything else through Him. What that means, how, why that means judgment is completely incompatible with love. This is what Bonhoeffer says about judgment. He says, when we judge, we encounter other people. From the distance of observation and reflection. In order to judge somebody, you gotta hold them out here, right? You can get a good look at them. They gotta be different from you, they gotta be separated from you. So you can turn them and analyze them and look at all the different quirks, the flaws. Think of a jeweler with one of those little little round really intense magnifying glasses, holding up to a diamond, looking for every little inclusion, looking for every color and every slice on every different facet of the cut. When we judge, we encounter other people from the distance of observation and reflection. But love, love doesn't allot time and space to do that. For those who love, Bonhoeffer writes, other people can never become an object for spectators to observe. Wow. For those who love, other people are never an object for spectators to observe. Instead, they are always a living claim on my love and my service. So this, this first point, have to summarize it, why should we not judge? Well, Because we're not worthy ourselves. Jesus' warning is that if we judge other people, to do that, we're going to have to take a step out of him, and then we stand on our own. With the judgment we offer to other people, we ourselves will be judged. That is not a bargain you want to make, no matter how sweet it might feel, to stand over somebody else and look down on them. It is not worth it. It means judgment for you. If you want to be with Jesus, it means you lose the right to stand in judgment over other people. But it it means that you have, The security of knowing when God looks on you, he sees Christ. And it means you have the calling that Christ has put on your life to approach other people, even the ones that are hard to love, with the love Jesus has shown to you. Christians shouldn't judge others because we're not worthy ourselves. We stand and fall either on our own merit or through Christ's merit, one way or the other. But there's more. There's a second reason we shouldn't judge. That comes out in verses 4 to 6. Jesus says, basically, we shouldn't judge others because we don't see everything clearly. The example of the log and the speck, it morphs a little bit in verses 4 and 5. You know, it started out by making the point that you judge other people as if you don't have issues, but your issues are even bigger than theirs are. You've got a log in your eye, they just got a speck in yours, but... The example morphs a little bit in verses 4 and 5 and comes out making a slightly different point. So what he said so far is that no one comes to Jesus without acknowledging they're beyond saving on their own. What we need to acknowledge now is that the effects of our sin, the same sin that means we have no hope for surviving judgment apart from Jesus, those same effects of our sin show up in how we see things, how clearly we see. We're not unbiased observers of other people. We see everything through self-centered eyes. So we don't judge because we don't have any standing to pass judgment. That's what we've already said. None of us is worthy. We've all got issues that mean we don't stand in judgment over anybody. But now, we just we don't judge because we're suspicious of ourselves and what we see. That's what Jesus says in verses 4 and 5. Look at it. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, Jesus says. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You see what he's doing there? If you want to help your brother, let's just assume charitably that your goal is to help them, not to just dismiss them and condemn them. Let's say your, your goal really is to help them. If you want to help them, before you're going to be able to see them clearly, you're going to have to be really suspicious of yourself. Of what you see. Because your vision is blocked by this gigantic log sticking out of your eye. Jesus isn't saying that you shouldn't try to notice things about other people and bring them to to their attention. He's saying you should never do that as if you yourself are unbiased. None of us see clearly. Our issues blind us. And if you come to other people in judgment without taking into account how slanted your view of them is, you're going to miss what's really there about them, and you're going to see some things that aren't there in them. You're going to assume you can see what's going on with somebody else. You're going to assume that you can become an expert on what sort of speck they're dealing with, but be completely skewed by what you don't see about yourself. I think what Jesus is telling us here is that we ought to pay closer attention to our own issues than to somebody else's. Then we might actually be helpful to somebody else. If we were more suspicious of our own view of things than we were of other people, then we might actually be useful to other people. Here's the way uh, John Stott puts it. I love this this turnphrase. phrase. Listen to how uh, English, British pastor John Stott put it in his commentary on this passage. He says, we need to be as critical of ourselves as we often are of others, and as generous to others as we always are to ourselves. <laughs> Isn't that good? Let me, let me read again. We need to be as critical of ourselves as we often are of others, and as generous to others as we always are to ourselves. In other words, friends, don't, don't underestimate the blinding effect of the log that you've got in your eye that you can't even see. Sometimes I think the most deceived, most self-deceived of us when it comes to judging others can be those who are most empathetic and sensitive to others' needs The the ones who can can be most empathetic and sensitive can also be the most judgmental in the sense that Jesus is warning about. Because really, friends, judgmentalism that we're talking about here, I think one way we can think about it is as a corrupted form of empathy. Empathy, what we mean by that usually is is that it's a kind of selfless, self-emptying identification with somebody else. You're trying to focus more on them than you are on yourself. You're trying to understand what it's like to be them. When you empathize with somebody, you, you enter into their world. You identify with them. You try to feel what they feel. But judgment assumes I have someone else figured out. It assumes I see them as they are. Maybe see what they don't see about themselves. The same intuitions that you trust in trying to draw near to somebody can be corrupted so that you're actually thinking you see other people's flaws, see actually into their heart. The tie here is the close attention to other people and the belief that you know what's going on with them, not just with them but in them, in their hearts and their motives and their feelings and their affections. That's the tie. Empathy and judgmentalism are two sides of one coin of, of feeling like you see people. Only empathy, in empathy you draw into them, you identify with them, you're for them. And in judgmentalism, you push back from them, you stand over them, you're detached and observing them. When judgment of somebody else is not for them, when it's not about clearing away yourself to identify with them as their advocate, when it's alienating or blaming, then it's much more likely to be colored by selfishness, by by interests that we have that are threatened. So Jesus, I think think to sum it up, what Jesus is warning us of here is that we should always be really suspicious of ourselves. We should never assume that we see people as they are. We should especially not assume that we see them as they are when what we see isn't flattering. When what we're noticing about them is a speck. That's when we should be especially concerned that our own selfishness has corrupted the identification with them we're supposed to seek and turned it into a sense that I see them as they are and see straight through them. We shouldn't judge others because we can't see clearly ourselves. That's Jesus' second point. And that leaves us with a last question. How should we respond to the flaws of others? I mean, Jesus assumes that they have flaws. The speck is not something he says isn't there. And then at the end, he's saying you should clear out your own log so that you can help them with their speck. He wants us to approach each other, see what's there, pay attention to one another, and try to help each other in the way he's helped us. In fact, verse 6, which is really hard to to interpret, a lot of a lot of discussion in the commentaries about whether, where it goes and what exactly it means and who the dogs are and who the pigs are and what the holy thing is and the pearls. At the very least, what this verse is talking about is the importance of making distinctions. That you're not supposed to throw to dogs what's holy and to pigs what, what is precious, these pearls. That you're supposed to be able to distinguish, to make discerning decisions about, about what who you'll relate to and who you'll give what to. Jesus is calling on us to to pay attention, to make judgments of a certain kind. So how should we respond to others' flaws when we encounter them? If we want to avoid a judgmental attitude, I think we need to respond as their advocates, first of all, and not as their judges. When you see something that's wrong in someone else, the test of whether you approach it in Christ versus approach it as a judge is whether or not what you want for them is healing, redemption. Whether or not you want to enter in with them rather than push them out. An advocate in a legal sense, like a lawyer, is going to pay real close attention to their clients. They're going to especially want to see the stuff that's not pleasant, that's not flattering. They're going to be really, really uh, focused on the details of someone's life, especially the ones that are hard. But they're always looking for ways to represent their client, to help them. To, to pursue, push what's best for them. So do you approach others' flaws as an advocate or as a judge? Do you approach others' flaws as a learner or as an expert? Another good question for you to ponder. Do you come at the things you think are wrong in other people as a learner or as an expert? What I mean is, do you come at them with questions about what you're seeing or with pronouncements about what they're not seeing? Do you come to them assuming that I might not see them as they are? That they may have really good reasons for doing what they're doing? That there's probably a backstory there that, I don't, that I'm not privy to? And so I come to them looking for more information as a learner. Suspecting myself and what I see. Or do you come at them as an expert on them? Assuming you see what they don't see about themselves. Finally, we've got to come to them as ambassadors and not kings. Do you, do you come at people's flaws as an ambassador for God's word to them or of promise and hope and healing and redemption? Or do you come to them as some sort of king who would have them align with you, who would browbeat them into submission to your sense of what's best? Now think back to the passage that Matt read earlier in our service, uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Paul's whole life calling is calling people to repent. He wants them not to be the old way. He wants them to be the new way. He wants them to be new creatures. So he wants them to change. He doesn't think they're okay, as they are. But when he comes to them, he's not trying to line them up and recruit them into Paul's version of the, of the good life. He comes not as a king who would win subjects to himself, but as an ambassador whose all, all he's got to offer is a word from someone else. A word of hope and healing and promise. A warning of judgment to come that won't come from me, but from the one who deserves to make those judgments. He he serves a king as an ambassador with a word that he offers pleading to anyone who will hear it. And it's always a word that aims at reconciliation. At healing and forgiveness. At bringing in, not pushing out. So when you confront somebody else's flaws, do you confront them as an ambassador? on behalf of the kingdom that God is building through Christ? Or do you confront them as the one to whom they ought to submit if they knew what was good for them? Friends, these are difficult things to walk through. I mean, good grief. All of us are incompetent when it comes to judging other people. So our only hope is the Word of God that calls us to do it well and carefully, and the presence of His Spirit that helps us, guides us, makes us sensitive in good ways and not bad ones. And the, and the presence of our community around us. So that we walk through these things together in affirmation and love and trust and not in judgment. Let's pray together now that God will help us to build that kind of community. Father, we want to be a place where people are free to be who they are without fear of judgment but a place where people are encouraged to not stay where they are because you want to work us into the image of Jesus and see us grow up into Him. And we know that that kind of community is a supernatural one because there is so much in us that would rather pass judgment. And that means there's so much in us that would rather hide the hard things about ourselves, the bad things, the sinful things. We, we give judgment that makes us fear judgment, and that makes us hide, and we don't want that. We don't want hiding, we don't want judgment, we want honesty and affirmation and constructive feedback, We want a community that people marvel at when they see how we relate to one another because it's so unusual, so impossible through the power sources available to the world. And so we pray that you would make us into that kind of people. That you would use even the word that we've considered this morning to call us into it, help us embrace it, and protect us from the kind of judgments we're so prone to. Protect us from ourselves, we pray. And fashion us into the image of Jesus. So that we love what he loves. And want what he wants. We pray in his name. Amen. We're going to keep worship together now.